Hello everybody, welcome along to episode 5 of the Peter Greenwood Show at the Edinburgh Fringe. A look at some of the best performers who are doing shows at the Edinburgh Fringe 2021. Coming up, I have interviews with the cast of Kill Me Now, Patricia Gets Ready, but we are starting with Charlie's a Klepto. Take a listen. I'm going to start asking you your name and what you do, please. My name is Claire Monnelly and I'm a writer and performer. How are you today, Claire? Are you well? I'm very well, Peter. How are you? I'm very well. It's a bit... Actually, I look out... It was horrible this morning. I look outside and there now seems to be lovely blue skies outside. Where did that come from? That's a shocker. I know. It's um, it's a bit miserable here, but that could turn on a dime any moment. We'll keep you posted. This is <laughs> this is exciting stuff. So let's talk about the show. What what is your show, and where did it come from? What's its origin story? Um, my show is a one woman show called Charlie's a Klepto. Um, it's been knocking around for a little while now. Uh, I suppose the origins of it were me sitting in the the social welfare office in Dublin hoping that they will give me unemployment benefit um, and having a bit of a early career crisis. And this character's a voice kind of appeared really loud and clear in my head. And I decided that I needed to uh, kind of wrestle back a bit of control over my life, um, as does Charlie in the, in the, on the day that we meet her. She's a young woman who um, had a baby boy some time ago, but unfortunately he has been taken away from her and by social services and she's been given three months in which to get her life back on track get a job get a flat sort herself out and tomorrow morning in 24 hours time she's going to find out if she's going to get him back or not um and as you can imagine um in the time that we spend with her even though she's gotten everything on track everything goes a little bit awry and that's where our story comes from so it's the last 24 hours when she's really trying to make that final push and really prove that, hey, I've got myself together. This is this is the new life for my son. Very much so. Yeah. And of course, everything goes, you know, the proverbial. <laughs> there's always there's always that that moment when you're like, OK, I'm cool. I'm calm. I'm going to do this. And then it all flips off. It goes. Exactly. Yeah. What was it like putting this show together and how has it changed from any versions to a version you can perform in these trying times, as they're known? Um, yeah, well, our first production of Charlie took place in 2017 in a theatre called Axis Ballymore in Dublin. And then we took it on a small tour. And then in 2019, we took it on a, a big national tour to 20 venues around Ireland. Um, and last year last September we made this virtual digital recording of it in association with Dublin Poor Company and Media Coop and they did this beautiful recording of the piece which is what is virtually in Edinburgh at the moment and I suppose the the play itself once we, we my husband is my director and my dramaturg so we worked very hard and very intensely on getting it to the 75 minutes that you would see in front of you now, we uh, we hammered away at the script for a good long time. Um, I suppose the main thing that's changed is just um, my confidence in the performance. I think when I, I remember so vividly standing backstage before that first preview of Charlie in Axis in 2017, questioning all of my life choices and wondering what I was doing at all at all. Um, and it was terrifying. It was so terrifying because it's always terrifying doing a preview of a play, but even more so if you've written it and you can't hide behind anything at all. Um, so 
but I suppose because the response to it was so positive uh, and the audiences just got on board so quickly and so resoundingly that just made us realize that we had something special that she was a special character and it's a special story and um yeah it's just it's just a real pleasure now to be able to give it a wider potentially worldwide audience on this virtual platform in edinburgh that's the interesting thing about this year's fringe is that i said this earlier and i'm going to say it again is that the edinburgh fringe was truly a worldwide worldwide festival before you had people coming to edinburgh but that was really the only way to see it is to come to edinburgh but now it can be seen anywhere in the world how has that changed you as a as a performer and as a writer um you know what it's i think it'll be one of the really positive things that comes out of this kind of disastrous last year and a half i think when i was in rehearsals for a show when we went into lockdown and obviously that went by the wayside and we naively thought that you know it was meant to be a six-week tour when we naively thought that we'd get the last few weeks of the tour in which of course was not the case but um and and then like and the the future of theater looked really bleak for for some time there but the as always, as artists are always inclined to do, the, the innovation that has happened over the last year and a half um, and the increase in accessibility to theatre as well, which I hope is something that we hold on to from all of this. The fact that where you are or your accessibility needs or your childcare needs don't need to stop you anymore from seeing a really high quality piece of theatre, I think is a real massive coup for, for us as an industry. Um, and I think it really it really made us up our game as well in terms of the digital content that we can provide. And then also, you know, collaborating with and utilizing the skills of our pals who work in film and TV who can, you know, really give a theatre show a, a different kind. I know it's not the same. I know nothing will ever replace being in a theatre with an audience and that live experience. Um, but certainly in the case of Charlie, I'm, I'm extremely proud of the, the digital offering that we've sent over to Edinburgh this year. I think it does the show real justice. And I think it's it's a real kind of amalgamation of the two skill sets. You know, the performance, the performance hasn't changed. The performance is exactly as it is if you were to see it on a stage in a theatre. Um, but what the guys managed to do around that in terms of the filming of it, I think really does it justice. And it really gives it as close to that intimacy as you as you can get without physically being in front of me in a, in a theatre space. This is probably a very cliched question, and I apologise for asking it, but it's something I'm very curious to know. You're the writer and the star, and your husband's the director. Does that ever cause any, you know, any clashes? <laughs> yeah, no, and I do get asked it a lot, but it's a really, it's a really valid question because... You know, those relationships don't always translate, I suppose, yeah. from, from one place to another. But I think like Aaron, Aaron has about 10 years on me in the industry. He won't mind me saying or maybe he might. Um, so I, I watched and admired his work for a long time before I ever met him. Um, so I do have a great deal of respect for his for his, the career that he's had, the experience that he has and the experience that he brings to a room. Um. He's a savage director and he's an unbelievable with a script. Like he's worked in so many rooms with so many people on new writing and classic plays. And he just has a real intuition for these things. And I would have been mad not to lean into that and, and utilize that. It definitely changed a little bit. Like we rehearsed Charlie, just the two of us in the room. And so we could be as, uh, what's the word? 
um, honest as we needed to be with each other, whether it was about the script or the performance or any of those things. Um, my second play, Minefield, which we performed in the Fringe in Dublin in 2019, was a three-hander. And so we had to, obviously there was other people in the room and we had to readjust our communication <laughs> um, to accommodate <laughs> other artists, I suppose, because, um, yeah, but, but there is something really special and really um powerful about the shorthand that we have together and how honest and brutal we can be with each other um and also there's there's just somebody by my side all the time who i know is as dedicated to and invested in the work being as high quality as i am um, and I'm, i never have to doubt that so no it really has been and we continue to work together so um that that's probably the main that's probably the main sign that it works well is that we haven't gotten divorced <laughs> yeah you still can't you still kind of like each other and kind of look still at each other like at the end of the day yeah. yeah 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 so i want to ask a little bit about the play at the point when we meet her how is charlie how is she doing in her life um charlie has despite having like a maybe slightly troubled and turbulent past she i think the birth of her baby boy really focused her mind um, and as the story goes, as you find out in the play, that the reason that he got taken away wasn't any awful act of neglect or anything. It was really poor timing and the fact that she it was just figuring things out at the time. So it's really focused her mind. She really has gotten her act together and her life together. Um, and she kind of feels like over these 24 hours, like it's a lot of outside forces who throw everything up in the air and into disarray. But she has to, I suppose, in that time as well, take a look at herself and and figure out what part her own actions have to play in her slight downfall. Not to give anything away. <laughs> yeah. but, um, it's a real, it's, it's, it moves at a serious pace. It goes like, it goes 90 the whole time, but it's, it's really like a, a 24 hour car chase around this Dublin suburb that she lives in um, trying to figure out uh, where her dad is, first of all. And and then coming upon all these kind of characters from her past along the way. But it also kind of is a time of self-reflection, weirdly, where she has to um, instead of just being focused on getting her baby back, she has to think about if she is really ready for that responsibility or she really is the right person for it and it's a there's big questions that she has to to because kind of forced to answer that maybe she hasn't really broached before you touched on something which i wanted to bring up because you uh the reason the baby got taken away is because i read the the description on the fringe website and it says she's due to get her baby back but it doesn't say why the baby was taken away was that a a conscious choice to not put in in the descriptions and was there any concern about not putting that in there um no i think like there it's so funny when you're writing a play like this and you want it to be such a big surprise and then you perform it for as many years as i've been performing charlie and some of the surprise goes away but i think when it comes to things like blurbs and that you want to save the the real the real heart of the story for the people who come and see the show yeah. and who you know who who invest their time their 75 minutes in in Charlie's life and in her story so I think there's enough there in the description to whet somebody's appetite but you don't want to give the game away either um, yeah. and also I think she's quite a she's quite a complex character Charlie I, I do think 
99.9% of people will come away from the show rooting for her, but she's not, she, she's not, you know, it's not black and white. She, she definitely has made her mistakes and, um, and she isn't always the most likable of people, but I suppose that's the work of the play and of me as the performer is to, is to hope that the audience come round to rooting for her by the end of the 75 minutes we spend with her. What's the future like for, uh, for your show, for Charlie, Charlie's a klepto. It was klepto. I couldn't remember how to pronounce <laughs> um, that word, but what's the future like for the show after the fringe? Uh, yeah, well, we're hope uh, we're hoping that the fringe will be a pla- a new platform for us to reach out to the rest of the world. Basically, we've we've had um we've had a really really good run of of performing Charlie in Ireland, and it's gone down a storm. And we've been really lucky with the responses we've gotten from people, both critically and and then the audiences in the rooms. So we'd love to take that elsewhere. And Edinburgh is kind of our is our jumping off point for that. I think. You know, Charlie is a quintessentially Dublin character in a lot of ways, but her story is is universal. And that was that was really obvious to us when we took it around the country here in Ireland like that, no matter where you're from or what your background is or or whether your life reflects Charlie's in any way. I think everybody can recognize something of themselves in her struggles, in her in her honesty and uh, in her heart, I think. Uh, and I do think that's when you put like you know, when you put real honesty, honesty and, and heart at the, at the at the center of a story that can travel to anywhere, you know, regardless of accent or dialect or any of those things. So, yeah, so we're really hoping that either in person or digitally that Charlie will get to do a bit of traveling of the world after Edinburgh. That would be great. Where can people find out more about you and about the show online? Um, well, I'm on Twitter at Claire Monley. Uh, C-L-A-R-E-M-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y uh, and all the details of Charlie are on the Ed Fringe website and also the Assembly Fest website Charlie's a klepto um, if you search for our show you should, it should come up and you'll be able to check her out Thank you so much for your time today it was so good to speak to you You too Peter, thanks a million Charlie's a klepto is playing anytime you like you can watch it on demand from the Assembly Showcatcher Just stop asking me your names and what you do please my name is Angelina and I'm an actor. And she is performing the amazing Patricia. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm Kalea. I am the director of this very special show. Yeah. Let's talk about the show. The show is called Patricia Gets Ready, but there's quite a heavy subtitle after that. What, what is your show? Tell us a little bit about it. So our show is called Patricia Gets Ready in brackets for a date with the man that used to hit her. So yes, like you said, quite a, the bracket changes a lot of the title. Um, And it's really about this um, woman, Patricia. She's a year out of an abusive relationship. She's kind of spent that time healing. She spent that time in her bedroom at home. She's also spent that time crafting a speech and thinking about all the things she'd say to her ex if she saw him again. Um, And the play starts with her bumping into him unexpectedly and sort of everything falls apart she accidentally agrees to go on a date with him uh, not really sure how that happens and then we kind of see her for an hour getting ready in her bedroom kind of trying to figure out um reflect on her past is does she want to go on the date doesn't she does she go on the date and say what she wants to say to him um feeling conflicted thinking about who she wants to be and what the right thing to do is um so yeah Mm -hmm. 
That sounds pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some really easy subject matter there. Oh, piece of cake. Yeah. This is, from what I understand, a, a biographical story. How did it feel putting this story together? Which is kind of a, um, a redundant question because obviously it was very difficult, but how did you put it together? Uh, so the writer, Martha Watson Allpress, um, she, well, I don't, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, that's really a question for her. Um, but in terms of taking her life story, well, altered life story into my own practice, um, it was it was definitely it was definitely really hard um, because it's like you said it's a very tough um, subject matter and kind of have to go to those places where it's those ugly places where you don't really you kind of you want to hide away from those kind of places but these this kind of show me you need to kind of rip that open and really just lay it bare. Yeah, like I think what's so beautiful about Martha's writing is that she you know, this story has come from a truthful place, but it's a story that many women know that, that happens, you know, so often in the world. Um, I think it's like one in three women will experience some kind of abuse at a time, which is a shocking number. Uh, um, and she really has written this story for all women. And whether we can directly relate to everything in the piece, there's just so much in there about the things that we have to put up with. So I think for me as a director, it was really about finding finding who Patricia is for me and Angie in the room and, and finding something that feels like it honours all women and what Martha kind of speaks a lot about, but again, not wanting to speak for her, is the importance of representing um, survivors of abuse who kind of look like you, look like me, look like Angelina. And it's kind of, it was really finding the truth in that character and the humanness in that character that isn't just connected to this horrible thing that she's been through. Um, I'm not quite sure how to ask this in a in a sensitive <laughs> way, but when it comes to directing a show like this, how do you even begin? And also acting in a show like this, where do you find, I guess, the energy to do it over and over again? What's that part of it like? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's funny you mentioned energy. It, it does take a lot out of you. Um and it's just, it's just yeah, like working with the, the scripts, like honoring the script, the words in the text and digging deep because everything that you need as a performer is in the text. Um, and so it's just me working with Kalea and just really mining that. Um, and like, and like protecting, protecting myself as well mm -hmm. and not, not pushing too hard when it's a particularly tough day, um, for example, and it's like understanding where we need to take a break, take a breather, and then come back. Mm. Like, I think, I hope what's really helped <laughs> for you is that um, the kind of trust between us. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and that we have, a, have created a really good relationship, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, first, yes. um, you know, we played a lot of games. I mean, mm. this is the fourth time we're, we're bringing Patricia back. So it is... We, we really understand the story and the character at this point, but especially at the beginning, we played a lot of games. It was just two of us in the room, but you know, um, I would play two people games with Angelina and um, doing a lot of check-ins and 
also like separating ourselves from the character and I think like different people at different points might have different experiences or triggers within the show but it's kind of first like making sure that everyone is at a place where they can make make the show make the work and um and then look trying to look after the people in the way we can remembering we are not the story we're separate from it um finding moments of light and actually what Martha's writing has done so brilliantly is that the the play is hilarious <laughs> it's actually really funny which a lot of people are surprised by and that makes it easier because there is so much joy mm-hmm. in this character and the script um but yeah we just have to look after ourselves yeah. like we've had naps in the rehearsal room <laughs> Or just like taking a break when we need to. Sometimes we do a bit of manifesting mm-hmm. and a check-in to make sure that we're grounded before we start any kind of like difficult work. Um, and also like I won't or try not to push you to do the really difficult parts of the play lo- loads and loads of times. Like what is Angelina's capacity to for those really like emotional bits where she has to go to to very deep places let's not do that 10 times in a row <laughs> let's yeah. just do a bit of light work and then and then go in once or twice mm-hmm. where can people find out more about you and about the show oh well we have an instagram account which is at pat gets ready um so you can find a bit about us and the team and about the show and it's the um, same handle for twitter as well it is, yes, it is, yes. it is. Um, and I think our bios and things are, are on our on our, are on our Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Yes, yes. <laughs> I will do that I'm after at, this. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm at Kalea Bax. And I'm at Angie Chudy. Yeah. This was so nice to sit and talk to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's been great to chat about the show. Mm -hmm. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Take care. Patricia Gets Ready is playing at the EICC Lowman Theatre at The Pleasance from the 17th until the 22nd and the 24th until the 29th of August. Can I start by asking your name and what you do, please? My name is Rhiannon Boyle and uh, I'm a playwright. Um, I write for theatre, TV and radio and I'm from Cardiff. Oh, is that where you are right now? That is where I am right now, yes. See, I have a friend in Port Cole, but my biggest connection to Cardiff is Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Well, they filmed Torchwood and everything down here, yeah. didn't they? They've got the studios down in Rogue Flock. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. I love Doctor Who. It's one of my favourite shows. We're not here to discuss my favourite shows. We're here to discuss your show. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Kill Me Now. What, what's, what is it? Where did it come from? Kill Me Now is a play that I started developing with um, Dirty Protest Theatre <clears throat> before COVID. And um, we wanted um, something that was going to be like a, a live seminar where you had sort of somebody giving a sales pitch to, to a real life audience. And we planned to bring it to the fringe in 2020, but then obviously that didn't happen. And then we 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 thought, well, hang on a minute, you know, if it was going to be a live seminar, I wonder if there's a way that we could make it into a webinar. So we adapted the script, uh, and that's and that that's where we are now. It's 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 a live webinar by someone called Anna Morgan Jones, who's a funeral director, and she's got this idea that funerals should be end of life celebrations and so she's an undertaker who wants to put the fun back in funerals and so the audience are invited um, to her live webinar um, as the actual audience that she's pitching to. And what are some of the things that she 
pitches to an audience? I know you can't tell the whole thing because you want people to see it, but what are some of the things that she talks about? Oh, well, do you know, when I was doing my research, none of the stuff in the show is made up. She's pitching rainbow coffins. She's pitching um, uh, leopard print hearses. Um, she's got the eco-friendly tricycle hearse. She's got scatter tubs in the shape of beer cans for the ashes of the deceased. Um, you know, brightly coloured Hawaiian shirts in funerals and, uh, and um, upbeat songs. She just really, truly believes that 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 funerals should be end of life celebrations and um, and that that's the way forward. But obviously, as you know, as the webinar unfolds, you, you kind of realise that she's she's living a little bit of a lie and she starts sort of tripping herself up when she introduces her uh, their poster funeral, which she's built the whole rebranded um, business model on which actually is her own father's funeral who only passed away quite recently so then you know as you can imagine there's all these secrets and there's all these feelings and obstacles that get in the way of her delivering uh, her perfect pitch as it were. How has the show changed from being in front of an audience to putting it together in this new fashion in this new in these new times that we live in? You know what it was weird because it's a comedy it's a dark comedy um and so we did we sort of tested it out with an audience um we had a development period and we sort of invited um a few industry people and friends and family to test it out and it's hard doing comedy um online just you know for the act for the actor really because you know you feed off that energy don't you you feed off the audience and you know hearing the laughter and you know it's just that atmosphere in a room that with live theater that you don't actually get online I suppose but I think what was important to us was that we tried to keep as many elements of live theater as possible um and so we um you know, we, we wanted it to be live. We didn't want it to be on demand, pre-recorded. And also we wanted to use all the features that, that, that you can use in a live webinar um, to make it kind of a, a unique experience. So it, during the webinar, she uses the chat function quite a lot and gets the audience to, um, you know, give me your favourite song that you would like played at your funeral or tell me what, what, what picture would you have on your coffin? And when we tested it out with the audience, they absolutely loved it because it's, it's audience participation, but without it being, you know, going to Panto and the Dane dragging you up on stage and squirting you in the face. It's non-threatening, you know, you're behind your, your, your computer screen, you're at home, nobody can see you and the audience members absolutely loved like chatting to her and having fun with her in the chat and, and the actor really skillfully uh, answers the questions and chats to them and um, has a bit of fun so so that's been a, a, a really um, a fun thing to try out you know something that might not necessarily have worked if it was a live seminar you know would, would your audience members have been as ready to take part I don't think they would because at, I myself, when it's audience participation, it makes me cringe. I get really embarrassed, you know? So it's, it's a really fun way and a non-threatening way of doing it. See, I'm exactly the same. Like when I go to see a, sh like when you're not in the theater, you're like, yeah, it'd be cool if somebody called on me. But when you're sitting in the space, it's like, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> but this is but this is really different, you know. A lot and, and and people just really wanted to get involved. And we sort of we ease it in gently so that the first question is just like, where are you from? And then people are just like one-word answers and a few sort of closed questions at the beginning, like yes or no. And then as people get warmed up, you know, she teases a bit more out of them and um yeah, that was one of the, the, the main things that audience fed back after our um, development period was that they just absolutely loved it. So, so that's one thing that we, we developed more um, and, that you, and that you would only get really if it was a, a live show. I also want to ask because there's something in human nature which is inherently... I don't know if morbid is the right word, but we do have that kind of morbid curiosity. So when you see something about a funeral going on, you do want to be like, ooh, I'm kind of curious. Let me know what this is. Did that feed into the development and the audience feedback as well? Yeah, I don't know. In a weird way, I've always been a bit obsessed with death. (laughs) That sounds weird. But it's just since I've been a kid, it's just always been something that fascinated me. I remember my cat killing a bird and me and my nine, my my Welsh grandmother, burying it under a bush in the garden. And then sort of half an hour later, me going and sneakily digging it up and just looking at it and just trying to grasp like what, you know, this thing has now got no life in it. I I can remember that. It's quite a vivid childhood memory. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and I'm the sort of person as well who I, I find the humor in everything, you know, even the darkest moments. So I think that's that's what I wanted to explore. I wanted to explore death and dying, but to try to do it in 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 a, in a funny way and use my dark humor. Um, and yeah, the play was inspired by my own father passing away. He he suffered for many years with MS, and um, it was kind of like quite a slow, drawn out, you know, passing. And um, it was just all the sort of the feelings that 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 conjured up, you know, in me. Um, and and so I just I I just felt like I wanted to talk about that, you know. It was something cathartic for me, I suppose. Um, yeah, I spoke me and my friend as well when, when my father passed away, her partner passed away exactly a month after. And um, every Wednesday when my husband was out with his mates, we, we set up what we called Grief Club. And it was kind of like tongue in cheek, you know, what goes on in Grief Club stays in Grief Club. And uh, our mantra was always to talk it out. Uh, cry it out and then laugh it out and, and that's what got us through our grief and so that's the same sort of journey that I want to take the audience on with the play get them to think get them to have a laugh and maybe get them to cry as well I want to ask a little bit about putting the show together and what kind of research you did because there's a YouTube rabbit hole which isn't really a rabbit hole it's becoming wider it's more a sinkhole at this point of undertaker youtube channels and mortician youtube channels like caitlin Doty, ask a mortician she's a popular in that community did you look into that kind of community at all when researching the show it was more researching into funeral funeral directors and all the products that there were out there um we actually went to um a funeral home up in anglesey where i'm from and chatted to them and they showed us all these kind of brochures like glitter caskets and all these um weird like acorn shaped urns and all these different like 
products that you can get that that people just don't you don't know that they exist because you know not many of us have actually organized funerals at this stage of our lives or maybe some people have but I certainly hadn't until I organized my father's one um and I don't know all of that stuff it just really made me laugh you know um you know all this stuff that that was actually real life stuff and it, in the show as well we've got we've got a prop which is um it's it's a scatter tub, a cardboard scatter tub, which is a, a Boddington's beer can. And um, when I contacted the company, that they're actually a real life company who, who can just do any anything the customer wants. And um, they said to me, you know, they quoted me something like 300 quid. And I was like, oh, God, I said, you know, it's not for a person. It's, it's for a play. We're actually a theatre company. And the woman on the phone, she was lovely. She said, oh, well, you know, theatres haven't had a very good year. I mean, we've had a really good year. So we'll do you a half price deal. And it's just stuff like that. That just really makes me laugh, you know. And she was just totally serious. So it's 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 all that sort of thing that, that, that we put into the play so it was more that sort of research that I did really looking into other undertakers and other products and stuff and um yeah seeing what else was out there it's something that you don't really think about because when you think of funeral you think of the black hearse the coffin everyone in in suit and ties maybe a little bit of rain falling at the graveside but (laughs) that doesn't account for individuality because when we had my mum's funeral she insisted no black we all had to wear bright colors so I was sitting there in like a bright pink shirt and I'm like, this is, this is unusual, but it's what the person <laughs> wants, is what my mum wanted, I guess. So here I am. And it Are really you the only one? Yeah, no, everybody else was dressed up nice as well. Well, dressed oh, up cool. in, in colours as well, but it was really kind of surreal, which is where I guess we come back to the play because did you find researching what am I trying to ask? What kind of things did you find while researching is what I'm trying to ask. Oh, my gosh. I found so much fun stuff. And um, if you said that to Anna Morgan-Jones, she would actually say to you, well, there we go. See, there's a gap in the market. It's fun funerals, celebrations of life. Um, I found um, a lot of funerals that were DIY. Um, so where the family, a family member is the celebrant who leads the service. A lot of eco funerals out there. Um, I found a coffin where it was basically like a huge seed that the, the body got kind of got like wrapped mm-hmm. up in like a fetal position in yeah. the seed. And then you plant it in, in like an eco burial ground and you can have a tree growing out uh, growing out of, of, of the deceased, basically. Yeah, so I've seen that. The, yeah. They're fascinating, yeah. aren't they? Um, it's cool, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, there's just so much stuff out there a lot of this a lot of stuff I found was kind of like over the pond in America but a lot of stuff is spilling spilling over into this country the, the main thing that I loved was these um personalized picture coffins they're cardboard eco coffins where you can just have any picture printed on them at all um so you know people go for like if they were a Sudoku fan they have like Sudoku or they'll have their favorite football team or you know their, their dog or their hobby or whatever plastered all of these coffins and um I just thought those were great you know and so, and, and so like I said all the stuff that I found was was actually real life so one thing that I did find which didn't make it into the play because I found it 
too disturbing was that you can have your partner cremated and you can have the cremated ashes put into a dildo. <laughs> I've heard of that. So you never have to be apart from them if you ever need those. They're still, you're, you're still enjoying each other. <laughs> of course, why not? Yeah. And I mean, that we did um, an hour about putting that in, but I was like, we can't. Oh, there was another thing I found, which was a woman from Manchester called Hazel, who'd died of lung cancer. And she'd been buried in a huge, uh, a coffin that was shaped like a huge Benson and Hedges packet. And that her cremated ashes were in a scatter tub, which was the shape of a, a single cigarette. And I mean, th these are actually all, it's all real life stuff, you know, N none of it's made up, but all of it is, I think, hilarious. Um, and hopefully audiences will think that too. I've heard of something, I, I'm not sure how much it costs, but my, and I, we're getting totally away from the show here. This is often a big tangent. My favorite, <laughs> what I want to kind of happen to me is, you can take apparently you get cremated and you can take the carbon and make that carbon into a diamond which is worth yes. thousands i've heard of this and you can make it into a ring can't you yes you can make it into uh, a ring or a necklace or any kind of yeah. thing that you'd like that's what i want i'm going to be that i'm going to be sparkly that is blinging that yeah, is baby. that is like p diddy level isn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> Or you can have like a signet ring, apparently, as well, with your, your, a bit of your partner's ashes put into the ring. Or, of course, there's the story about the guy who um, who invented the packaging for Pringles, whose ashes were buried in a Pringles tube. Is that real? <laughs> yeah, that's actually wow. real. That sounds like the kind of joke you'd, you'd tell when he <laughs> makes. Like, the guy who invented Pringles died. Once he popped, he couldn't stop. Google it. Google oh, well. it. I promise you it's all real. That's fantastic. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you and about the show online? So the company is Dirty Protest Theatre. Um, so don't uh, Google Dirty Protest because something very different comes up. Make sure you Google <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Protest Theatre. Yes. Um, my name is Rhiannon Boyle. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter. And we are on the Ed Fringe's main site, the tickets. But also we are being hosted on Summer Hall's online um platform um we've got five live shows they start on the 17th of august all at different times so yeah get yourself a ticket it's going to be fun and it's limited tickets or is it limited so it's limited because we don't want to we want to be able to interact with the audience in the comments so we um we've limited it to i can't remember off the top of my head how many so yeah if you want tickets be quick i will definitely go and look into getting a ticket thank you so oh, much for your yeah. time today Oh, thank you to you. It's been fab. And that's well, it. Was that okay for you? Did we get everything? I know we veered yeah. away from the show a, a little bit and got into other topics, but it was, was so fun. I can, I, I can talk about funerals until I die. <laughs> I see what you did there. I'm, I know I already said, said we're wrapping it up, but I am keeping that in. I am living my character in this play, literally. Some of the lines I was coming out with, I was like, oh God, that's her line. Yeah. <laughs>
you're never going to be the same after this. You're going to need therapy for one reason or another. Oh, I know. I feel like I know exactly. Do you know, it's funny. The other day, I've got like a funeral brooch, like coffin brooches all over my dining room table because I've been gathering like, you know, stuff um props and things and my kids this morning were like looking at these glitter caskets and deciding which one they would have if they died I was like I don't think this is normal guys <laughs> I think it's fine I mean when when we were younger we used to sit and be like this is what I'm going to do at my funeral like at one point we had the plan that we were going to pre-record this is something I wanted to do in my mum liked the idea as well, but she never did it for whatever reason. Uh, we had the idea where I was going to pre-record all these things that I hated about people and then invite all these people I hated. And then at a certain point, there was going to be hydraulics in my coffin and the oh. lid was going to snap open. I was going to sit up, the tape was going to play and, be like, and you, you mother, do you know what I think of you? <laughs> this... <laughs> Do you know what? I think this play was written for you. I think you're going to so. really, enjoy, you're going to really enjoy it. I'm <laughs> so I looking forward to seeing it. I think you're going to sign up for a franchise. <laughs> we can take this all over the world. Do localized versions. <laughs> Do a Scottish version yeah. where ashes get poured into a haggis. <laughs> oh, that. I mean, nobody's eating well, haggis anyway, so may as well. Yeah, a, a, a sporran filled with ash. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Oh, that's you a know? good idea. Because the sporran you is... Always be, you can always be near your lover's genitals wherever you yes. go. <laughs> the the sporran is roomy anyway. So, like, you can... Oh, a perspex sporran. So you can see it, but then you can still, like, open it up and put oh, things in, put your phone in. Yeah, but not a perspex kilt, no. No, no. Well, <laughs> depending on where you go in Glasgow, there's a few of them. Kill Me Now is streaming three times a day at 11 a.m., 1800 hours, and 2000 hours at the Summer Hall Online. You can watch it via Zoom from Tuesday the 17th until Sunday the 21st of August. Things got weird at the end there with Rhiannon, didn't they? I'm the first to admit it. But thank you for listening to episode 5 of the Peter Greenwood Show at the Fringe. Couple more of these to go and then we will be done for 2021, but... But the ones that are still to come are brilliant. So stay tuned. See you then. Bye, everybody. Bye.